All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you see Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Head on To the line, Hughes, scores! This existence You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I'm one of the men in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com. You can also use it at their retail location in Surrey, which Chris is going to be checking out soon. Zephyr Epic also ships free on any order over $50, Canada-wide, from... All the way from... Castlegar, is that home of uh, Travis Green? Yes, it is. Castlegar, all the way to Cat Lake, Ontario. From Castlegar to Cat Lake, Zephyr Epic ships free on any order over $50. So, folks, if you've got needs when it comes to those Yu-Gi-Oh cards, the Pokemon cards, the hockey cards, the basketball cards, all of the cards, Zephyr Epic has got you covered. So, go check them out. Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic. Follow them on all platforms. You know what I heard? Facebook, Twitch. Twitter, yeah, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I heard the Yu-Gi-Oh cards are getting hot nowadays. I've heard that too. And you were a Yu-Gi-Oh guy, weren't you, Harm? I was a huge Yu-Gi-Oh guy. So I hear they're getting hot again. I, I see a lot of uh, promotion on Zephyr Epic about the Yu-Gi-Oh. I liked Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh was the, like, out of those Pokemon, Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh games, yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh was the, the most fun one to actually play, like battle your friends and stuff. Never played it. Yeah. I collected the cards, but I never knew how to play. Oh. <laughs> You guys are such Patreon content. I was like, Anyways. I was like six or seven years old. Give me I a got break. some old Yu-Gi-Oh decks. Uh, uh, back like somewhere in a drawer somewhere. There you go. I'll me too, those. probably. Well, we'll get a battle going on. We're also delivered by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding Use dong. Promo code ConvoDD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, ConvoDD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is Dave Quadrilli. I just crushed two ad reads. I am joined, as always, by the man who built the place doing his best impression of a traffic cone, Chris Faber, and Harmon Dial. Harmon, how are you? Doing great as always, boys. Chris, can you confirm that you're not locked in my basement? I can confirm that I'm not locked in your basement, yes. Let's start with that. Let's start with Faber's little hiatus here that put the world on fire. And he, this guy texts me and he's like, oh, I don't want to tweet anything cryptic. And then he, then he tells me what he's planning on tweeting. He was going to tweet, I'm not hired by anyone, period. And he thought that wasn't cryptic. I was like, that's probably the most cryptic thing you could tweet. No, I tweeted something fine in the end. Yeah, after I told you to, but he was gonna he was just gonna tweet that because he's like, this is gonna go to hand because people are speculating, like, oh, Faber's joining hockey ops, this is happening, this is happening. And for those that don't know, Chris deleted all of his tweets uh, on Twitter, which is typically what we've seen people like Ryan Beach, uh, Rachel Dory do right before they get hired by the Canucks. It's very common practice. Uh, but you did it for a bit of a different reason. Yeah, just a little cleanse on the timeline, and uh, you got some exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, it's just not with the hockey ops department. Yeah, I haven't been hired to a hockey hockey ops department. Yeah, or a hockey ops department. Either. Well, talk to Parallel Forty Nine. We'll <laughs> see what happens there. But yeah, I have not been hired by a hockey ops department. No, and you know, a little foreshadowing. You said I'm I'll announce to watch next week something. Canucks Army to grow. Yeah, Canucks Army. That'll that announcement will come down the road. I'll announce something else midweek next week. Yeah, but uh, it was very funny because people but I'm started not to working catch on. As I even an texted amateur scout or anything or amateur scouting anyway. in Abbotsford, uh, which makes all the sense in the world yeah. because there's a lot of amateur players in a pro league. Uh, <laughs> I even texted quads. I was like, "What's going on?" Because I saw all the speculation on Twitter. <laughs> And um, it got me thinking, I think someone mentioned it in our Discord chat as well, that one day all of us media members should just 
simultaneously yeah. cleanse our timelines and just make Canucks I, Twitter go nuts. I deleted all my tweets on like Tuesday and nobody noticed until, I don't know, Thursday or something. Yeah. When no, Wyatt, when, when Wyatt's when, yeah. like, hey, you should t- uh, send a message to Quads in favor and ask what's going on. <laughs> I got so many messages and I, I tried to respond to a lot, but like there was a lot of people that actually just reached out and were like, hey, huge fans of the show. I hope Chris isn't going anywhere. And I was able to tell them like, no, Chris. A lot of people were asking if I was okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm fine. Yeah, people. And, and I people, literally was on Sportsnet yesterday morning. Like I did the show with you earlier in the week. Everything's good. Yeah, someone's like, if you want to reach Chris, just text the six fifty six fifty text line, or just call six fifty. He has to answer all the calls. Yeah, well, I don't answer a lot of calls anymore. No, well, that's fair. Unless um, we're, we're, you know, unless we're looking for callers. But I must. I'm say, just tired of getting yelled at. That's at, that's six fifty. I answer the calls, and people are telling me blah 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 about this vaccine passport. I don't want. What are you doing, calling six fifty and talking to the producer about the vaccine? passports or the whatever's going on in that Ottawa. damn Canberra, hey? No, well, I say they, they, they're giving it to me all the time, getting mad at me because we don't talk enough CFL. Wow. I don't want to deal with that. That's on a the hot phone take. I don't answer the phone anymore. Don't tell Cam that, but <laughs> I'm supposed to answer every call, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He won't listen to this. The other thing that I wanted to mention was just, uh, yeah, people started to catch on that a lot of the tweets, like Faber was texting me. I wasn't watching the game where Rathbone got hurt. We'll start with that, but I wasn't watching that game. I'm tweeting out all these updates. He's watching them. He's watching the game texting me. I was like watching Seinfeld. Yeah, the worst part was the whole thing was like I also wanted to just like take a week off of Twitter because it was like it was really relaxing not having like any notification, not worrying about it. It was really nice for a few days. <laughs> then it was not. Uh, but yeah, I think the giveaway had to be when you tweeted out a Lucas Forcell. <laughs> Lucas tweet. Forcell. I, know. <laughs> I was like, okay, when when I saw the when I saw the Abbotsford or Rathbone tweets, I was like, okay, unexpected, very highly unlikely to see quads actually tuning in and tweeting updates about the yeah, Abbotsford. Like reporting on Abbotsford. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Fine. Maybe, maybe. And then I saw Lucas Force. I'm like, there's there's no effing way. I was like, that that's Faber's feeding him something. I was literally like set quads wasn't even like crafting his own tweets. I was literally writing a tweet and then saying copy and paste this. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. Which is why there was a typo in the first one I said. Oh really? <laughs> I didn't even proofread it. I was just like, ah, this makes sense. I fired it off. Um that was the really funny part was because people did start to catch on that they were like, Okay, what have you done with Faber? Because I'm like tweeting Lucas Force <laughs> No, it's all good, but there's yeah some uh, yeah it'll be exciting in the next little yeah it'll bit be great here. it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. But I must say, being Faber for a day or two, it was great. Oh, the freaking like, likes I saw you! Oh rolling my gosh, in. What the I hell? got like a hundred followers since I like put on my Faber cap. It was very very great. So happens when you do the work quads. Not great enough for me to tune into the MHL or whatever you were doing, but no. it, I, it I had a lot of good times watching the MHL. See, that's that's what I got to do is because I, you know, I'm so busy during the day. And as soon as I like sit down and like try and unwind on the day, you know, stuff like that happens. That's what I need. I just need someone to text me exactly what to tweet. I'll fire it off. That's perfect. Well, no, I'm back now. So yeah, we got to find a system. Stop following quads. <laughs> Everybody just unfollow me. Yeah. I always oh feel like, wow, we're going to get all these great updates yeah. on prospects. Oh, yeah, Lucas Forcell updates. This is the place to be. Yeah. One day I'm going to scoop you on a Lucas Forcell update, and you're never you're mm. never going to see it coming. I would bet money that you don't do that. Uh, okay. First of all, because I don't even think you would know how to watch SHL yeah, hockey. Yeah, I would text you, ask for the link. I wouldn't give it to <laughs> as you. As I usually do, as I so often do. All right, we're nearing the 10-minute mark. Uh, what do you guys want to open up with? Because, I, I mean, we touched on Jack Rathbone a little bit. Also, Harmon, sorry, we haven't even let you talk much this episode. It's only 10 minutes in, though, so you got a lot of time. Jack Rathbone, obviously, hitting the numbers by Colton Sevier. Not a great hit. Looked like it could have been a lot worse than it 
was traveled with the team. I uh, believe in Colorado traveled with the team. Uh, so that's a really good sign for Jack Rathbone avoiding injury because losing him at this point in the season. And again, Canucks fans don't have to look far to remember Brock Besser's back injury and all the complications that came with that. And I think that was the first thing that went through a lot of people's heads when they saw Rathbone get hit right in the numbers. Uh, but again, avoiding a really bad situation this time around. Yeah, from what I heard, someone in the organization mentioned it kind of it was somewhat of just like a pinch in the back somewhere. Um, so it's a lot better than what it looked like because. Yeah, I was watching and I wasn't. You were tweeting about it, but he was down. On, I think that was a, the hit was like scary. Was bad. The scary part was watching him on the ice for 13 minutes, and it was kind of confusing me how it took 13 minutes to get him onto a stretcher as well, and just kind of the whole situation. Like, I, I guess they were maybe whatever, seeing if there was still range of motion for him, like all that kind of thing. So definitely taking precaution that was good, but there was like 60 fans in the stands at that game. It was dead quiet. You know, the, the play-by-play broadcaster was basically the only guy talking, and he was trying to give his updates as they went on. Um, you know, you got a thumbs up from Rathbone, apparently, as he was leaving the ice uh, and got out of the hospital within a matter of hours, which is the best news, right? Like, he was discharged that night. You know, the injury would have happened probably, geez, probably around 9 o'clock, if I have to guess. He yeah. was out by midnight. So that's well, good to good. hear. So they, like, you know, to hear that he was out early, he traveled with the team. That's all good news. I don't think we'll see him in this next game here. You never know, though. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say that he's definitely going to be out of the lineup, but I would assume precautionary they'd keep him out of the yeah. lineup for a little bit here. But, man, you know, obviously it's good to hear that he is in a lot better shape than what it looked like initially. But still, it's another another tough bump in the road for Jack Rathbone. As his season has just been... You know, like you look at what he did in the NHL, just horrible luck and on ice shooting percentage under 2%. Then he goes down to the AHL, gets an injury that keeps him out for five weeks, and he gets COVID just after he returns. Now he's starting to play good, gets AHL player of the week, and then takes this dirty hit in the back. Like really tough year for the prospect right now, but you hope that it's only going to be out from here. And hopefully the kid can catch a break moving forward here because he's a big part of this Canucks team moving forward. And and we'll have to see, I guess, uh, when he comes back from this potential injury well we'll still have to see what's happening moving forward and and he deserves a break too like guys you, oh. you never want to see you never want to obviously never want to see anyone in that sort of spot but especially someone like jack rathbone like you're talking about one of the most humble down-to-earth athletes i've ever come across like just the sweetest person ever um and yet he's also like you couple that sort of empathy and, and the way he carries himself with the fact that he's such a confident kid too it's not one of those cases where he's just a nice guy and but no he's he's nice and he carries a lot of confidence with him which is i think the perfect character to have to try and make it through hockey and it's exactly what um a prospect who's going through the type of adversity that Rathbone has over the last couple of years. Um, it's necessary. It's kind of needed for all the, all the highs and, and lows and, and last year being the COVID year and not playing a whole lot. So yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, glad to hear that uh, the injury wasn't too bad and hopefully he can get back to building momentum because man, he looked phenomenal right before, uh, right before that hit. For sure. Two points on the night. Uh, when he took that hit, and he's been yeah. putting up the points again. AHL first star of the week. We talked about it was a good update from you uh, earlier on in that game, saying that 22 minutes in, two points from Rathbone. Eh? Got that from him too. I look over and there's you. like 600 likes on that tweet. I that know. was good for you. <laughs> that was great. Uh, I tweeted about Tyler Myers last night. That came from me. Can I say something about Tyler I'll Myers? Guess last that night? didn't get 600 likes. <laughs> no, it didn't. It did not perform as that well. That play where Brock Besser scored the goal. 
Tyler Myers standing in front of the net. When JT Miller rotates to the top, Miller stays at the point. Myers basically just like literally just exactly what you want. Just like stands his body right in front of the goalie and just like froze. He didn't move his stick. He didn't move his feet. He literally just froze there <laughs> as as Brock Besser skated around him and, and outweighted uh, Reimer to score that goal. I, I thought that was like a an interesting play by Myers to like, listen, the dude's got a big ass body. He, he should use it at all opportunities possible. And he did sort of, in a way, help Besser get that goal because I think that screen really just threw Reimer's timing off. And then it just it allowed Brock Besser to have time to wait on Reimer and then roof it right over him. Like some of that credit should be given to Tyler Myers on that goal. I think it, him getting in front of the net was like, I know Quads, you've floated this idea before. Get Tyler Myers as the net front on a power play. See if he can do what Chase on can do. I mean, you saw Myers tip the puck into the back of the net in last night's game. I know that it was on his own net. But he's got that capability <laughs> and potential to do it maybe on a power play. So I, I thought that was a fun play from Tyler Myers, and it seemed to work out because they got a goal out of it. They did. They did. And what's, I must say... What's your Tyler Myers thing, though? Well, I must say... He's the best. Well, not only that, but I must say, if the Cucks had more depth at right D, not only am I advocating that Myers go net front on the power play, I'm also advocating that he pull a reverse Dustin Bufflin. He starts playing right wing. Yeah, I know that. If you throw Tyler Myers on a third line, if you teach Tyler Myers how to take face-offs... Okay, come on. Okay, come on now. All right, next topic. Let's let's move on from this. You know what? I I keep betting on Tyler Myers because his first goal. I put $2 down on him yesterday. He returns 90 bucks. One of these days, he is going to score. Maybe you'll make your money back. I'm going to a casino after this. Yeah. Do you have any idea of what you're going to play at the casino yet? Just slots. Just slots? Just slots. Okay. Yeah, I like the slots. Okay, can we move on now? I got something for you guys. I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to play baccarat. Okay, baccarat. I think some people we've, say baccarat. We've had this discussion on the show before. Have we? Okay, and well, we I'll don't teach, know how to say I it. I think it's baccarat. Yeah, we Bac- don't know. Baccarat. That's Remember, it. any idea? I, I don't even go to casinos, so I have no idea. Baccarat is what I think it's called. Okay, and I'll teach you that I after how, I learn how to say the. I love uh, how we just keep doubling name. down on the pronunciation of things, and then like like me with Philip. I don't. Even, I, I still don't know his name. People were like giving me giving it to me on Twitter when I Philip Cheadle. What is it? Heedle. Heedle. <laughs> I think I was <laughs> wrong. We even joked. We were like, we need Harmon here because Harmon knows how to say players' names, and we. Even, <laughs> There's like a thing on NHL.com where you can like hear the pronunciation of their names. Yeah, it's part of the media guide. Yeah, it's in the media guide, and yeah. I was like, nah, I'll just I'll just freestyle it. <laughs> okay, Harmon, don't look now, but the Canucks three points back of a wild card spot. There are a few teams in front of them with games in hand, but it's a lot closer than it was just a week ago with the Canucks having this big break that they had. Three points back. What's your vibe of the team right now? Well, they've got an opportunity now. I think what they have Anaheim and, and Seattle next, and I think for starters, it's it's obvious watching. Um, obviously, San Jose came on a little bit towards the final forty minutes, but San Jose, like the Canucks, they already did leapfrog them um, in points percentage uh, last night, and I imagine the same thing with Anaheim. The Ducks just aren't like they just got hot and a little bit lucky to start the year, and um, they might have. Sp- they might even be selling at the deadline because they have so many UFAs sort of on the back end. So, you know, maybe one of Lindholm or Manson gets moved and that's another hit hit to them. So I'd imagine the Canucks will, you know, obviously leapfrog them as well. And then it's going to be fascinating. I think this little stretch could get them back into the conversation. Outside of that, my only thing is, and this is kind of, this is where it's always a classic Canuck thing. 
I just hope whatever they do, they don't end up in the mushy middle. Like if you're going to go on a run, go on a run and make the playoffs, do it. But don't go on a run and just end up like two or three points out of the playoffs by the end of the season and, and ruining your kind of draft odds because that would just, again, be such a classic Canucks thing. And, um, and the other thing is I hope that from an organizational standpoint, it doesn't color their the organization's plans for the trade deadline. And I don't necessarily have that sort of concern with management because I think they have a really sort of clear view on what this team is and what it isn't. And if they feel that there are certain moves that need to be made, um, you know, I think they would be feel comfortable making that. But obviously it's been a tough year for NHL owners. And if there's any sort of sense or sniff of potential playoff revenue, I wonder how that conversation would uh, would go down between Aquilini and, and Rutherford about are we going to give this roster a chance? How do we proceed with some of our um, big players here? So it's going to be interesting to watch. I think there's just no shortage of storylines with this team. And it's just so fascinating because it connects it like dovetails perfectly into some of the decisions that they're going to, going to have to make ahead of the deadline. And again, whatever happens, a, I hope they don't, they either make the playoffs or they like don't end up in the mushy middle where they ruin the draft slot. And then B, I just hope they operate the trade deadline independent of what happens. Because look, even if you sell off and let's take a piece like Tyler Mott, right? I don't think if the Canucks, let's, let's say over the next couple of weeks, they get themselves back into this race, which is quite plausible. I don't think that that should, let's say beforehand they decided we don't want to keep Mott. He's too expensive. He's too injury prone, whatever. Like let's hypothetically say they decided to, you know, let's, let's move on from him. I just hope that they, they still would go ahead with trading him if that was the hypothetical sort of decision and they don't think, oh, well, we need him for this um, playoff run the way the last regime would have uh, approached it especially because we've seen so many teams in years past where they continue being competitive for the playoffs, but they like sell one piece or something like St. Louis or, or other, or other examples like Calgary, the year that they ended up playing Vancouver in 2014, 15 sold Curtis Glenn cross. So um, those are kind of my, kind of my thoughts on the, the overall kind of state of the team. And um, again, I just connected so much more with the bigger picture and what happens off the ice. I think we've heard patience. Like we heard from Patrick Alvin twice this week. It was with Thomas Durant on the Canucks hour and then with Murph as well. And the word that we heard the most from Patrick Alvin was like patience and waiting for things to happen, you know, taking some time to figure out what's going to happen for the trade deadline. And, and I think moving forward as well. So I think that I do think that they're still going to have a long view of what this Canucks team needs. And I do think that another thing that's been brought up a lot by Jim Rutherford is that they need to create some cap space. Like, you know, going into next year with this exact same roster with the extra cap space that you're going to have off of, you know, the Luongo recapture coming off the books and maybe some other money that's going to kind of show up. It's something like 13 to $14 million of cap space. If you're keeping this exact same roster, Brock Besser's taking, you know, 7 million of that. That's half your cap space gone right there. You're going to have to find a backup goaltender. You're going to have to find some other positions. You're basically throwing this exact same team out yeah. on the ice next year if they're not able to make a trade at the deadline. And hey, listen, what is it, 15, 6, and 4 under Bruce Boudreaux? That's a playoff team if you're playing like that. But is that how this team's going to play all of next year? I'm not so sure. Like, I, I found it interesting to hear um, Rutherford say on Halford and Bruff this week that he was actually pretty happy with the defense. Like, he was content with what this team's defense looks like because I think for years, 
a lot of the evaluation of the Canucks has been their weakest point is the defense. And it's not like it's gotten that much better this year. I think they've found some things with like, man, I was just, I was thinking watching OEL last night. Like, yeah, he might not be as fast as he is, as he was when he was, you know, 23 years old, but man, can he still snap? Like he can move the puck really well. You have Quinn Hughes who can move the puck really well. You have a decent setup for like, I think like you can trust three defensemen to give you top four minutes from what we've seen this year. Like OEL has been a top four defenseman this year. Tyler Myers has been a top four defenseman this year. Quinn Hughes has obviously been a top four defenseman this year. They'd still need to like improve that. Like you want to have a guy that you think has a top four defenseman playing on your third pair to think that you're a playoff team. Like that's what playoff teams have is they have top four defensemen playing down the lineup and playing on your bottom pair. The Canucks just don't have that right now. But I found it kind of curious and maybe get your guys' thoughts on this, that Rutherford was like content with the defense core. Cause I feel like that's the thing that needs to be changed quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of that is genuine opinion versus posturing. Um, might be a mix of both. The one thing that stands with me as it pertains to the defense core, though, is sure whether or not you believe, and, and I may disagree with the assessment that the that the defense core is good enough for you know to be a uh, a playoff competitive team. The problem is it's just too expensive. Like heading into the season, right. I think it was like the third most expensive blue line in the, in the NHL, somewhere along those lines. And um, so, you, yeah, I mean, OEL is a good second pairing defenseman. He's played matchup minutes. He's been solid at both ends of the rank. The problem is he makes seven and a quarter. True. Tyler Myers has been he's he's been good this year. He's he's been. Uh, he's been effective. The problem is he makes six million dollars a year, and then you and that's before you even get 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 to the likes of Pullman and um, and Hamnick, and so you just pile on those costs. And of course, Quinn Hughes isn't on his ELC anymore, and it's like the defense might be decent in in Rutherford's eyes. They still have to completely reshape it in whatever way they can if it's possible because there's just too much money committed there. Yeah. You mentioned that it's decent. It's paid like it should be really good. It's yeah. paid like it should be world class. <laughs> Serious question for you guys. Tucker Pullman out right now suffering from headaches and they didn't use the word concussion like symptoms, but we can call it that migraines, all that sort of stuff. He's dealing with that right now. When he comes back, is he a healthy scratch? Like I haven't been amazed by Travis Hamannick, but I attribute a he lot came of that back to tomorrow. Rust. He's a healthy scratch. You think so over Hamannick? I thought Hamannick was awful against Toronto. I thought so too, but I, I equate a lot of that to Russ. So to Chris's point, yeah. I guess you know, the way that I'm looking at is either way, you're you're going to have to scratch a guy making 2.5 or a guy making $3 million. You're right. So exactly. There's to no, me, it doesn't yeah. really matter who's playing between Pullman and Hamannick. Right now, both of them wouldn't play over Kyle Burrows. Yeah. yeah. That's the way I guess I look at it. Like, And, and it doesn't matter. You're scratching a guy making two and a half or making three. And they're not on LTIR. Like that's we're saying, if Poolman were to come back, yeah. Like right now, he is on on IR. But you, yeah, that's the problem with the defense corps. Like we talked about, we just mentioned how much money they're making, and the and fact that you might left. have to scratch a guy. Yeah, Poolman has three years left after this year. this year. What an awful contract! Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, let's catch a break. On the other side, we've got some stats from JPAT, which should be a segment name. Uh, we've got you've got some stuff yeah, on Garland. maybe on his show. You've got some stuff uh, that you want to talk about, uh, about Connor Garland. We've got a lot more as well. So keep it locked. Keep it loaded on Canucks Conversation. And before we go any further into the show. What the hell was that? I'm going to show you the music. 
All right, here's the real ad. Here's the real ad. I had to uh, show Chris the music he was playing for me as we talk about our friends at Parallel 49 Brewing Company. Chris, I made a trip out to the street kitchen. Excellent. Excellent food there. 1950 Triumph Street. I like the music first that we had going here. Want to do a live read with the some... somber piano music? Yeah. I got this, this music you're playing now in the background. Listen, all the beers rolling on taps there at 1950 Triumph Street, as well as uh, check out the classic Unparalleled pack as well. That's throwing up some of their classic beers. I like the Jerk Face 9000, the bright pink can, one of my favorites from Parallel 49 Beer. You can uh, find them on all social medias at Parallel 49 Beer, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff, and get all your updates. And like you said, Quads, the street kitchen. That poutine. Go get that poutine, folks. Go get that poutine, that spicy chicken sandwich, and the burger at Parallel 49 Brewing Company Street Kitchen. And a massive thank you to our sponsor, Parallel 49 Brewing Company. Folks, if you want to advertise with us, reach out to us at Canucks Convo on Twitter or either of our personal accounts. Uh, We've actually got a sponsor coming on shortly that we're very excited about as well. So So Finally, get back to some poll questions. Is that what I hear? Yes, we are going to be getting some poll questions back. That'll be a lot of fun. Got a sponsor coming back for the poll questions. That's yeah, good stuff. We're very excited about it. Because I've been excited. angry, you could say, about no poll questions lately. Yeah, that makes two of us, and I know the fans miss it, too. The The listeners of the show, I know they miss it. Yeah, they are angry about it, too. Yeah, I think are. our first poll question our, back, everyone's going to say, I'm angry. That you read that my mind. Poll question. You read my mind. That'll be our first poll coming back. How'd you feel about us not asking poll questions? <laughs> and the only option will be, I'm angry. <laughs> Number one option or no the the way that i like to do a poll question it'll be more goalie talk or i'm angry (laughs) three percent more goalie talk all right we got stats from jpat cue the music i love that as a segment name if we get jpat as a regular contributor on our show ever which we won't we won't but stats from jpat i think that's a great segment name and we need some music for it we're not going to play any music but he's got a lot of stats here about the Canucks through 25 games of Travis Green and then 25 games of Bruce Boudreaux. Obviously, the winning percentage and the record has been a lot better under Bruce Boudreaux. But there were some things that actually surprised me. Again, he was looking at goals for, goals against, power play, penalty kill, leading scorer, goal leader, uh, shots or points from the D, EP40 production, EP40 shots, Garland's production, Bester's production, Miller, Horvat, Hughes production, 515 save percentage, and how many times the Canucks scored first. Lots of different stats here. You can go look at it on Jeff Patterson's Twitter account. But give us one. The one that I was really, really surprised by was EP40 shots. Elias Patterson took 61 shots through the first 25 games of the season. He's only taken 38 under Bruce Boudreaux. And he's produced more. He scored nine goals on those 38 shots compared to four goals on 61 shots under Travis Green. Yeah, and I'm sure you'd like to see Patterson shoot the puck more. I mean, you'd like to see that at all times. And maybe we'll see even more production moving forward then. It's nice to see it, some pucks actually going into the back of the net for Patterson. But that number does, uh, that surprises me a little bit to think that Patterson, you know, it kind of just to me speaks that, yeah, there was something off about Patterson's game in the first 25 games of the year. Like it, it, he wasn't, I don't think... I don't know if it was the wrist. I don't know if it was confidence or the stick situation, but there was something that was holding Pedersen back in the first 25 games because he's found a much more accurate shot here in the last 25. My favorite stat here is that Bo Horvat had seven goals and six assists under Travis Green, and he's also had seven goals and six assists under Bruce Booter. He's not a coach killer. He, he's just Bo. I put that C on his chest for consistency. Exactly. Exactly. Harmon, was there any stat on this Excel sheet that j tweeted that surprised you? 
It was a full Excel sheet that Jay Pat tweeted. Yeah, he made this oh in Excel, my. I think. I was going to say, how do you get all that information in one tweet? But good for him on an yeah, Excel. Man. Dude, Jay Pat throws on the reading glasses in the press box. It's game over. Yep. Yeah, I think that, honestly, the biggest surprise was, as you guys kind of mentioned, the, the Pedersen shots. Although, once I started thinking about that, he he's never been a, a volume shooter. He's always been efficiency and quality. Mm-hmm over quantity, which is so rare in the NHL. There's so few players who have the ability to beat goalies from distance that to where they can shoot, be so selective with the shots they take and still rack up a lot of goals. And I think, again, it just underscores how lucky he was through the first 25 games as well, where, yeah, he he was playing below his usual standards, but things started snowballing because... He was playing. He was playing poorly, and then he was unlucky on top of that. So it just seemed like an absolute disaster, and it became kind of um, just spiraled into a terrible feedback loop. And now he's looked. I mean, that pass in OT, yeah, guys, holy! That last night watching Patterson play was it was it was really really fun. And I saw a lot of people saying that it was a, a quiet night for Patterson, and I think it was. To a degree, a quiet night, but you there was the a flashes. lot of really, yeah, a couple, like not even a couple, like a handful of little plays where it was like, oh, that that is how Pedersen is playing when he's on. He didn't do it the whole game yeah. long, but you're bang on. Like there was a lot of flashes where I was like, oh, like just little things that made you go like, wow, you know, with Pedersen. And that's a, that's when he's playing his best hockey. Yeah. And I think we can all agree. And I, and I and I sort of definitely feel this way where I don't think we've seen Pedersen really just like single handedly dominate or, or take over for long stretches in a game, even through these second 25 games under Boudreaux. I still think there's a lot more for Pedersen to give and to unlock in terms of the best version of himself. But as you kind of mentioned, you're seeing the confidence start to come back and um, just flash, flashes here, here and there. And the other guy that, you know, sorry to go off on a little bit of side tangent. Well, let me but- jump in here for one more quick thing about Pedersen. It's like, Quads, you remember having this argument with me about who was the Canucks MVP in, in Jacob Markstrom's last year here? Yeah. And the thing that we argued about was that which player was going out there and, and single-handedly winning you the most games. And to think that anybody would have an argument against Thatcher Demko this year is ridiculous. Yeah. He's yeah. been the MVP to that reason. He's won the most games single-handedly, but we were having a, like a good argument about, was it Pedersen or Markstrom? Yeah. And that finally, that's how many games Pedersen was going out and single-handedly winning for the Canucks. I, like, have, I don't think we've seen one this year where Pedersen really has been the driving force of single-handedly winning games. Other than and that- I'm not saying that every win has one player that does that. Like they're, you know, I think of like, the Toronto Maple Leafs game. Thatcher Demko single-handedly wins that game yep. for the team. Yep. Right? And there's been other situations where JT Miller, I think, has on a handful of... I wouldn't say a handful. Maybe three or four games. Miller single-handedly won it for the Vancouver Canucks. But there's been a lot for Demko. A couple for Besser, I'd even say. But I haven't seen one from Pedersen yet. I think, and the, we had that argument years ago that he was the most consistent guy doing that for the Canucks. I think other than that one two-goal game in Washington is the yeah. only game that That's I can That's the only th- one I can think of. Yeah, because, you know, he did win them that game. Like right. that was two goals, and I think the final score was what three two or something like yeah. that. And he was he was really effective in that game. So that's the only one that I would point to. But yeah, you're right. Like you could probably fact, almost get to a dozen with Demko this year, though. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'd say over that even. Like that's being generous. Um, you know, I think I think Pedersen's been exceptional in his first year, especially you know what we saw in the bubble too is just ridiculous, and we just haven't seen that this year. So. To your point, yeah, you're absolutely right. He hasn't done that much this year. The fact that it was even a conversation that you and I were able to have way back when, 
That was almost two years ago now. Now that I think, wasn't I it. arguing for the goalie too? You were. What you a were. what a time. How the turntables? Turntables. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The fact that, that was even a conversation. It's crazy to think that right now, and that's not even because Markstrom was much worse than what Thatcher Demko is doing right now. It was just that it really it was pretty wasn't similar. Close. Yeah. It was pretty similar to what we're seeing from yeah, Demko. Demko might. Uh, I wouldn't say even a little bit better, but Demko has, I think, had more single-handed wins. I think Demko's been better than Markstrom was in that year. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so too. I think for for carrying a team quite a bit. Yeah, it's been it's definitely an argument to have. Yeah, it is. You can have that with Kevin Woodley, not on the podcast. Yeah, I'll hit the goalie talk segment. All right, Harmon, you got something for us about Connor Garland? Yeah, and this is I've long had a theory, and I've shared this, you know, sporadically in, in other in other sort of areas, but. There's a class of players that go really underrated, and they're the ones that do so much heavy lifting at five on five and bring an elite five, uh, bring an elite impact there. But their point totals don't jump off the page because they don't play first unit power play because that's where all the the production is is honestly had. Like I remember one year where where and I showed it as an example. I think it might have been eighteen nineteen season something along those lines, but. I remember one year where, where Sid Crosby only had like 38 5 on 5 points. The rest of it was just all the other situations and mostly on the power play. So first unit if is such a money maker for production and that really got me thinking about Connor Garland because you know you look at the you look on the surface and he's got 27 points in I think it's 45 games or something along those lines which is solid but unremarkable but then you look deeper at at his 5 on 5 profile and Guys, quietly, Garland's been far and away the Canucks' best 5-on-5 five five forward. Like, I'm looking here. First of all, he leads the team in 5-on-5 in five five goals. There are only two forwards with 15 or more 5-on-5 five five points this year. One of them is JT Miller with 19. The next is Connor Garland with 24. He has almost double the five and five points as Bo Horvat and Elise Pedersen and all these other guys. And we talk about how good Miller's been for this team. And Garland has has been outproduced him pretty by a pretty significant margin. And then you even look at, I think, and this is the the sort of like biggest sort of surprise to to me was quietly because of his work rate and tenaciousness, how much of a two-way impact he's had in driving play because Last I checked, his 5-on-5 five five scoring chances against rate was second best on the team. And so then you look at the 5-on-5 five five goals for and against when Garland's been on the ice. Canucks have outscored opponents by 13 when Garland's been on the ice. It's the best mark out of all Canucks forwards. And it's not particularly close. Like Even when JT Miller's been on the ice, the Canucks are break-even. When Bo Horvat's been on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, Canucks are like plus 2. Garland, they're plus 13. And some of it, to a certain extent, is a bit of PDO luck. But we're talking about a player with the best underlying numbers in the team, the most 5-5 points by a significant margin, the most 5-5 goals. Connor Garland has been an absolute beast for this team at even strength. We just, I don't think we talk about him as much, and he has gone quieter recently. But I think that's a perfect example of a guy where because he doesn't play five and five or uh, first unit power play, the point totals don't jump off the page. Yeah. But man, he's been such a key driver for, for this team, especially one that Canucks have been, have really struggled to generate five and five offense. To add to that leads the team in penalties drawn at five on five as well. Yeah. So it gets a lot of power play situations for him. And you bring it up like, yeah, his points don't pop off the page. Was it 27 points? Yeah. Two points on the power play for Garland all year long, two points, a goal and an assist. So was like it two it, or was it three? 
I think I've, I, I think I got two here. For, oh, okay. For gold. So, so yeah. yeah, but I mean, that's nothing. That's even if it is three, it's, it's not yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's adding anything to what his total is. Everything that Garland's doing at five on five is, is really incredible. You mentioned he is and has been the best five on five player for the Canucks this year offensively and like you said what he does in the neutral zone and defensive zone of turning over pucks and, and not even not even forcing just turnovers but stopping the opposition i think is something that connor garland does so well where he just gets in on a guy like basically puts his whole body and stick over the guy's stick so it's like he can't even move you know and then the puck kind of gets taken away from that point of view but that's what i like about garland is he just he just swallows up Guys, and he's the smallest guy on the ice, but he's able to just completely take a player out of the play offensively when he's defending. Yeah, and top 50 in the NHL among uh, forwards for five and five points. He was tied with like Pasternak and Kuznetsov and Brady Kachuk. Um, I think Troy Terry was there, and we've heard all, all the breakouts talk about him. So, I mean, I just felt like it was important to kind of highlight that because at, at five on five, 14 assists. 10 of them being first assists, being yeah. you know, the direct pass to set up a goal. 10 of his 14 assists have come as a first assist. That's another, you know, he has been like, there's a lot of things. You just keep looking at stats and stats and, and harm. Maybe you can explain this because it looks like he plays well, like eye test wise. You're like, wow, that's a guy who's giving a lot every shift analytics wise. It might even look better than the eye test. So like how, how much better is he than everyone else on the Canucks at five on five? Like, is he that much of a play driver where, he doesn't have the big body, so maybe it doesn't stick out as much. But I test wise, when you see the puck moving, it's obviously moving in the right direction a lot with Garland. And then the analytics back it up about like how good he actually has been with it being like expected goals for expected goals against everything. Everything looks really good for Connor Garland this year. And there's even trade talk now about Garland over the past couple of weeks here. Yeah. And with Garland, it's not just sort of this season, he's been an elite five and five player, even back in Arizona. And, and and it goes back to even the the point production, where if you look at his five and five points per hour um rate among the the NHL's most uh, efficient sort of scores there. And I think what sort of works for him is most players in five and five environments or situations, they struggle because there's less time and space to operate with. And and that's why a lot of those players then have a lot more success on the power play where things open up. And I think Garland's the sort of player who actually, we see him w w with the spins and the turns, how much space he's able to create despite not having a lot of real estate to work with. And I think that's the most special part about him. And when that, um, when that happens, right, when he's spinning and turning and, and he's able to kind of... Um, draw the attention of defenders what happens is it opens up so much space for the for his other teammates on the ice because defenders collapse in on him and that's where his he's got such an underrated vision for how he sees the ice and he's able to set guys up whether it's below the goal line or off the off the rush some of the situations where he yeah, he can make any pass any yeah. pass whether it's you know, something through his legs behind him or from a corner to the other side of that. He can make every single pass. Just such a smart player. I think that's what it is. He's so smart, right? Because we know with Garland, he's not the fastest, but he's able to make up for it with the way that he sees the ice, the way that he thinks the game. And I think he's one of the kind of smartest forwards from, from that perspective and, and how he makes and, and sets up plays. And I think that's what overall makes him uh, such an effective 5-on-5 five five player. I have a question, I guess, about Garland, too, because his salary is under $5 million. He's not going to get that added bonus of, of putting up power play points. 
Like he, he feels like he could be a very valuable contract just from what he brings at five on five. And if he's ever able to find something on the power play, that's what's going to make him become more than a $5 million player. But if he's just bringing all this at five on five and not doing anything over the power play, it's still a lot of value for a guy making under $5 million because you have other guys that will get all their points on the power play. It's not like you rely on him to do that. And I do find it a little curious that he does only have two points on the power play. Like, I don't think he's bad on the power play. We saw him a really weird mix of the power play and weird is just the word I'm using because we haven't seen it at all, but there was a, a, di- a very different mix to the two power play units the other day. I liked seeing Garland play with guys like Patterson uh, and Huglander, Pod Coles, and Hughes. That was an interesting power play for me that I'd like to see more of, and maybe that's when we start to see some more points. But contract-wise, you have to look at Garland's deal as, as a really good deal from what he's just bringing at 5-on-5. Five five. And that's why I think we're starting to see more and more teams calling the Canucks about Connor Garland, and we've seen him you know, attached to all these trade rumors. And speaking of trade rumors, Frank Cervalli of Daily Faceoff had Brock Besser added to his trade targets list. This... Not only added, but up the charts up at the number charts. six. Number six. And, and Miller's at 12. And Frank wondering. used him as the uh, as the title yeah, he did. for his trade targets article. He did. Yes, he did. So Brock Besser getting a lot of interest from other teams, and why wouldn't he? Value is low right now. A team is going to acquire him and get him at a very reasonable price. They're not going to get a great haul back if you're the Vancouver Canucks. So, uh, you know, Harmon, I want you to expand on that because... We all came in here and we're all on the same page about trading Brock Besser is a bad idea. Yeah, and it's a really complicated situation for the Canucks to walk uh, into because on the one hand, I think, as you mentioned, trading him right now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because for starters, you're not going to get full value back for him with his complicated qualifying offer situation like that really like that really sort of i think impedes his uh his trade value because an uh, an, an acquiring team is going to have the same questions about how do we retain Besser long term and, and make this cap figure work that the Canucks are having right now and then we all know he's having a down season right now and a lot of it has been percentages driven he, when he's been on the ice at 5 and 5 the Canucks have shot something like 4% that is grinders don't even have have that sort of uh, on ice shooting percentage, meaning he's going to bounce back. And we've already started to see it. He's got how many goals in in the twenty five games since uh, Boudreaux's taken over? He's, he's eleven. Exactly, he's been on fire, and I suspect that pace is only going to sort of maintain over the over the remainder of the season. Yeah. Um. So. To me, I think Besser's been one of the biggest beneficiaries of of Boudreaux coming in and and. He's looked more and more like himself. And then the other thing, too, is I think a lot of... And I and I sort of do understand why. When Besser came into the league and in his rookie year, I think it was like December, and he was leading the NHL in goals, it's just unfortunate that I think he set the bar a little bit too high, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us looked at that and said, boy, if he's doing this as a rookie, 40-goal score, he's going to be right up there, one of the, one of the top uh, goal-getters mm-hmm. in the league for a long, long time. And I think... I think we can all agree that Besser probably hasn't really fulfilled that uh, level of potential as a franchise winger, right? I think a lot of us are wondering, is he a franchise sort of Tarasenko-level winger? And he's not, but he's still a really damn good first-line player. And I think this is where reputation matters so much, too, because he brings so much more to the table now outside of his goal-scoring ability. Yes, absolutely. And we've we've obviously talked about it a lot, but how well he wins pucks on the forecheck. Uh, his improvement as a playmaker, how 
how much better his two-way profile looks. Because in year one, he he could score was a liability in his own end if you sort of dug deeper. And, and all of those concerns have kind of washed away as well. And so to me, I think his floor, his absolute sort of floor is as a sort of 25-goal, 55-point guy, like floor. And there's obviously a, a potential, I think, for him to be something closer to like a 30-goal, 65-ish point yeah. kind of guy. I think that's realistic. But then on the other hand, it is complicated because $7.5 million is a qualifying offer. That's a tough pill to swallow. He's probably not worth 7.5. And, and I think this is where, you know, obviously in an ideal world, the Canucks investors camp would, would sort of in advance come to an agreement on a long-term extension at something like 6 I think would be a, a much fairer number, but it, it's a really tough spot. And again, I just think to myself, he's at a low ebb in his trade value and and the qualifying offer is going to put other teams off. I just don't know if trading him is the smartest move, again, considering he's 24 years old. Yeah, you don't want to sell low. You just don't want to sell low on a player. And that brings us to the bigger conversation of if you have to trade one, you have to trade one. Is it Brock Besser or JT Miller that you're moving? And to me... The answer is JT Miller. You're getting more value back in return. And again, like a big, the big outlier here and the big thing that this all kind of hinges on in my view, and I believe in the Canucks view as well, is if JT Miller wants to re-sign in Vancouver. And right now, none of us have a concrete answer on that. You know, there's been a lot of different reports and vibes saying people don't get the sense that they're going, that he's going to re-sign in Vancouver, but we haven't heard that from Miller's camp, not once. And he's obviously not going to say that while he plays for the team, but the Canucks need to figure that out internally before they decide what they're going to do because, and I think that's what they're doing. Again, we've seen the reports saying Rutherford and Alvin, there's a lot of teams reportedly kind of moving on from Miller or at least planning for their plan B and trying to figure out what happens if the Canucks decide not to move Miller because they haven't decided yet. Like We've heard Alvin talk about I still need to evaluate this team. And sure, Rutherford's been here for two more months than Alvin has, but he's in a similar boat where he still wants to really evaluate this team and see where they're at before he decides to make a move as drastic as moving JT Miller. Because if you're able to get him on an extension and that's what the Canucks decide to do, they're obviously not going to trade him. Like that's, that's a plan of attack for the Canucks potentially. So again, I'm not saying they should do that, but I'm saying if you have to trade one of these players... It's JT Miller because the haul you're getting back is just much greater. And again, we look at the Tyler Toffoli trade. That's going to be a there's going to be a bigger haul than that, despite whatever Larry Brooks and uh, the New York Rangers GM says through Larry Brooks. But <laughs> it, that that's the fact of the matter is he's going to get a big haul. And I know that the Canucks have set their asking price really high. Yeah, I've I heard know, it's like a Jack Eichel level return. They they want a Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin want a lot back, and I mean I, I I can't say what it is, but I heard the initial sort of ask from uh, for New York, and it was just I, I laughed and I was like, I love that. I love that they sort of. I mean, they're obviously not going to get what I, like they're not going to get the, the 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 stars in the moon back for JT Miller, but they're going they're still going to get heck of a lot and I think um, that's where it's nice to sort of even see Rutherford kind of dig his heels in and that's I think what the organization is doing right now where they're saying if you want JT Miller you guys better step up to the plate with some serious serious value like this isn't just a player we're going to sell and 
that's um, again with the Canucks a benefit where, and this is again a, a conversation that I've or a discussion that I've sort of brought up, where if you're an acquiring team now at the deadline, yeah, you get two playoff runs at him, but from Vancouver's standpoint, if you wait until the offseason, there's also you have to weigh the possibility that there are going to be a lot more suitors there just from there being a lot more cap space and more teams are going to be looking at improving, right? Because if you look at your pool of potential trade partners from Miller now, it's a lot smaller because you're filtering teams that A, are in it to win this year and B, have sufficient cap space to add his contract. And right now, a lot of teams are dollar in, dollar out mid-season. They're into LTIR. So that's a fascinating sort of debate too of how do you even maximize Miller's value if you decide to uh, to trade him. Um but that's where, I mean, it, it's it's really unfortunate because I love watching JT Miller play. Like, I cannot say this enough. Watching him, especially that game uh, Saturday against the Leafs, Dash Demko deserves, like, he 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 was the, the biggest driver for, for the team. But you look at the individual skaters, JT Miller was a beast. He played one second shy of 26 minutes. He drove the first line goal and an assist. He created chances off the forecheck. He threw his body around. He was strong defensively. I would love so much for JT Miller to be a part of this sort of core. It's just unfortunate where I look at this team and I'm like, to be a cup contender, he just he just doesn't quite fit with the timeline. Or he's 28 years old, and this is the this is the the sort of issue. The the concern is look if Miller wanted to sign a mid range sort of four four-year extension, I would have no problems about paying him because I'd look at Miller and even though he's 28, um, he'll be 30 by the time he's a free agent, I'd look at Miller and go, he isn't showing any signs of slowing down. So I'd be fine. But Miller's earned the right, if he wants to, to go seven, to go eight sort of years. And that's where it becomes a lot dicier of a proposition, right? Because contracts of that nature, contending teams can sign that because they look at, a contract like let's say seven times seven times eight or something or seven times seven and they go well we don't really care about the last two or three years of that deal um you know and then that's where it's usually the last two or three years of the deal where you're a little bit dicey on but contenders like if you're i I don't know if you're if you're new york or something you don't care about that because you're you're in it to win now and you don't in five six years from now you're probably you you're probably not a contender anymore but if you're the if you're the Vancouver Canucks you can't afford to brush off the final 2 3 years because you think about how are the Canucks building themselves well to be a legit cup contender i think it's going to take them probably at least 3 years and that's the start of their window meaning you expect them for you expect a longer sort of time horizon where if their window hypothetically opens around 2024 2025 if it starts, you want it to last probably at least like four or five years. So you're hoping that until the end of 2030, that this Canucks team is is sort of gunning for the cup and, and is competitive and in it every year. And that would coincide with the final two or three years of, let's say, a seven or eight year JT Miller deal. And that's where, you, where the conversation would then become, not only do you have to ask yourself, would Miller be a solid top six player throughout his thirties, but would he be worth every penny of um, whatever massive extension he signs? And then it becomes a value proposition. And, and that's why it's, 
it's such a complicated decision, but um, yeah, it's it's a tough spot for the Canucks. Uh, again, another one where Miller adds so much value today, and you love him, but does he fit with the uh, with the timeline moving forward? I think that there's a, like there is a world where a five year extension with JT Miller can happen in Vancouver, though. Like, and if we're if we're talking about Brock Besser's money moving forward, it, it is true that they just simply looking at cap space two years from now, they can't have both of those players on their roster with new contracts, right? Like it's not going to be possible to have Brock Besser and JT Miller, unless we see like a ridiculous boost to the cap in the next couple of years here. I I can see both roads of which player would be traded. And I think that you bring up a good point about trading JT Miller in the off season as well, how there would be a lot more suitors. I'm wondering how much lower that value is because of losing a playoff run though. Like two playoff runs, I think is huge for trading JT Miller. And as I said on the last episode, I also think trading JT Miller before this deadline gives that team the option to move him again next deadline. But here's the huge. the other advantage that happens though is if you trade him in the offseason, you're eligible to sign him to an extension. That's true. And too. I guarantee you, when, when when these sort of like trade talks happen. Um, before a team pulls the trigger, they're already sort of checking in with the agent to see, hey, how much would an extension cost? And an acquiring team would weigh that probability beforehand. And we've even seen it like when Ottawa traded Mark Stone, um, Vegas did the sign and trade. He signed an extension be- beforehand. So that could um, offset the fact that he only has a year left. Yeah, I, I guess I, I look at the with Brock Besser possibly being the guy that could be traded. Like there's still, I know that you guys mentioned that JT Miller is the better option to get a bigger haul back and doesn't fit the timeline as well as Brock Besser does at his age. But Brock Besser still is going to get you a pretty big return. Like how much are you saying that he's dropping down because of this qualifying offer? Like how, how much value does that take away from Brock Besser on the trademark? Cause I still see Brock Besser. If it is him to be moved, he would be getting you a pretty big haul back, I would assume. I don't think it's the same level as Miller, but the return still is pretty big for a guy like Brock Besser, who is young, who can sign an extension with that team moving forward, probably in a similar situation like you just mentioned with Stone. If you do move Besser, I'm assuming this team wants to invest in him for a long time. This isn't just a rental for Brock Besser because he's an RFA. You're going to have an easier way of re-signing him moving forward. And I just, man, like I, I think JT Miller is such a good piece for this team, if you want to use him moving forward, like I can see both ends of, I can see if the value, if they can get this massive value back, like the ask is for, for Jim Rutherford, who has it out here now, five weeks before the deadline, sorry, less than five weeks. Now, if he has this massive ask and it's, and it's hit absolutely move on from Miller, but it feels like, and I think we're seeing this even in the Frank Sarah Valley report that the Canucks are leaning towards wanting to keep JT Miller. And if that's the situation, maybe it is Brock Bester that has to shake out to create some of that cap space. This just now from Rick Dollywell on JT Miller. Canucks brass are having a tough time with this decision. Some internally don't want to move him. No surprise there. Like, no surprise yeah, at no all. No surprise. No surprise at all. It kind of reflects the feeling in the fan base. All right, before we close out, I've got a prospect report. What? That's right. You go to you you leave Twitter for a couple couple days. I'm the prospect guy now. 18-year-old Canucks prospect Lucas Forcell just know. scored another SHL goal. You know we talked over, about this at the start of the episode. Over the last I week, this. he has seven points in two J20 games and now has two goals and assists in two SHL games. Also, Aiden McDonough did not have a good bean pot tournament. Oh, really? Because the bean pot's still going on, so I don't know how you can say that. But what he team does, uh, what team does Forcell play for? Uh, Farsted. 
pretty close to. Well, they, well, that's right. I'm right. Well, you pronounced it wrong, but yeah, it's close, I guess. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I'm the prospect guy. Well, all right. I you, have got any, something. you have any goalie stuff for us? <laughs> well, I got I got nothing because what has Koskenvo done this uh, this year? Nothing. Yeah, Koskenvo Ooh. having a tough year, but it's okay. He'll come to Harvard. Seelaws haven't seen him in a couple months. It yeah, feels that's like. that's actually something that's a little bit concerning. I think. Yeah, is, Martin's a guy out there now. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I hate the idea of Martin less because. Originally, when we talked about, you know, oh, Martin stealing starts from uh, DiPietro and Silovs, it was there's no long term vested interest in Spencer Martin. Yeah. For he this was organization. A goalie they got for free. Yeah. He was an ECHL goalie playing in the AHL that was doing well. But don't look now, guys. But a lot of those improvements that he's made in the AHL, he's continuing to improve. Like, it's not like. He stopped where he's at, and he's like, "All right, I'm I'm done improving." Like, no, he's really taking in everything that Curtis Sanford and Ian Clark are showing him. Don't look now, but there's a real chance that he's the Canucks' backup next year, and that they home grow him, and you know they built, they continue to build this goaltending stable that Ian Clark talks about so much. About prospects, I want to quickly mention um, Chase Waters. Oh, I was just going to bring up Chase Waters in okay. my prospect report. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> you probably need to spell his name. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just think Chase Waters. I'm gonna. There's gonna be an article coming out. Uh, I was hoping for it today, but my editor decided not to post it, even though I have multiple pending articles his way. Um, there's a Chase Waters article coming soon. Uh, talk to him. Talk to the coach. Uh, just some, just some good play from Chase Waters, man. A guy who signed as an overage player looks like he's really getting a spot as a penalty killer, playing center. Uh, also getting an opportunity to, uh, I guess, just kind of move up and down the lineup and be able to show that he can play the wing. He's being really trusted, and I. I wonder if there's somewhat of a potential for Chase Waters to be an NHL prospect down the road. He's on an AHL deal right now. I think that the way he plays, he could end up being an option for like a call-up fourth-line center. He's a center through and through. He's playing some wing right now, which is kind of strange. But through and through, he's a center. He's a right-shot guy, kills penalties. Like He does make sense if the if the Canucks want to sort of you know, invest some time and effort into making him be a player that really grows down in the AHL, he could be a success story moving forward. Because I think as a guy who looked really good in the dub, undrafted all three years in the WHL of his options, he's now showing that he looks like he belongs in pro hockey. And that's a good start for a guy who, that's a huge jump. Like, you you hear people talk about this all the time. The biggest jump isn't from the AHL to the NHL. It's from junior to the AHL. Like, that's a Mm -hmm. massive jump for guys. Uh, And Wooters Waters has just done it in an excellent way here. Uh, And the outs for Canucks. Through all the things they've battled through, five-game win streak right now, uh, heading into Saturday against the Colorado Eagles. So, uh, good little run though there in Abbotsford right now. Some good stuff. Colorado screaming Eagles used to be. Oh, they're not called that. They anymore. got rid of the screaming. That's I a think. good. That's a good call on their part. Like the Eagles is a much better name than the screaming Eagles. Yeah, probably. Yeah, right? you probably don't want screaming anywhere in your name. Hey, before we go, I'm getting a uh, new passport. And I wanted to show you guys. This isn't. Maybe we'll tweet out a picture. You guys want to see a picture of me as a young teen in a passport? Hell yeah! Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't even look like the same person. Oh my god! Wow, that looks like a kid that would be batting cleanup. And so that's me in like bomb off me. Jeez, that would have been. That's me in like grade nine. Wow. Yeah, that's that's why. Look like a tank, man. Yeah, I would not. Tell you what, I was about six three there too. I still think that that kid in grade nine could beat me up. Yeah, it's weird. Like looking at this and looking at you, this is me when I was like 
Do you, how Thir- old are you in grade nine? 15, 14, 15. 14. No, 15. 15. 15 no, I look older 15. than both of you. Well, maybe not. Harm's got a good little beard going <laughs> He's got on the right beard, now. yeah. But I got more mustache hairs than quads right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta get, I'm getting a new passport here because I, I feel like these borders, man, I feel like that, you know, they're coming open here pretty soon, right? That's what's going on. I don't really f- keep up with the trends. I normally just uh, go with the flow here, but I feel like the borders are going to open soon. I want to get down to, uh, down to the states, go to some Trader Joe's. Yeah, you you live so close, you gotta get down. I'm there. literally a two minute drive from the border. That's sick. Yeah, so I want to get down to the states. I want to buy some fancy Gatorades, some cheese, some cheese. Big on the cheese. Yeah, you can get five pound bags of shredded cheese in the states. The big cheese. Big cheese. So they used to call me back in the day. Okay, we'll close it out there. For my co-host Chris Faber, Harmon Dial. My name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.